Hi, I'm Fiona. And I'm Cam. And you're listening to the Over the Fence podcast by Farmers for Climate Action. Today, we're talking to Tony Ma. Tony's the CEO of the National Farmers Federation. Tony's from a farming background in southwest Victoria. In this episode, we discuss farmers engaging in carbon markets, the NFF's net zero by 2050 target, and his passion for baking. As always, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can get in touch with us via email or over social media. Our email is info at farmersforclimateaction.org.au. Here's our interview with Tony. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Tony. Over to you, Cam. Thank you. So, Tony, you have farming roots in southwest Victoria. Can you tell us a bit about this? Yeah, sure. Um, So, my family comes from a place outside uh, Ballarat, so Bungaree or Gordon in in the central highlands of Victoria. So, um, they, my parents were both sort of from farming backgrounds um, and... I spent a lot of time there. I was born in Canberra, but I um, uh, most of my family is in and around um, that area. So from an early age, I had um, a love for agriculture, you know, spent a lot of time on grandparents' farm, um, family farm, and I just always loved the industry. Um, I can vividly remember going to work with my cousin at the time. He was a few years older than me. Uh, I was probably 12 and I got to see him work uh, every day and I said to him, this is this your job? Um, wow, I want to do this job. <laughs> like it was it was just something that I just always uh, always loved. So um, while I've been brought up in Canberra, um, I always had an affinity and a, and a passion for agriculture. Tony, did you always think you would go into the career in agriculture from that early start or were there other things on the cards too? Uh, yeah, that's. Um, I always um, would would have liked to. I always sort of thought that I might. I wasn't sure what that looked like. But my other passion was um, was cooking, and you know, and um, and you know, food. So I did. I worked in a few hotels and a couple of restaurants, and um, and you know, started an apprenticeship as a as a chef. So I, I wanted to. I have a passion for, for food and cooking as well, so um, and I still have that. So it was a bit of a fork in the road. I was working in um, in restaurants and, and catering or hotels, um, and somewhere along the line, I decided to go to Ag College, and that was the fork in the road that I chose agriculture. Do you have a signature dish that you make, Tony? <laughs> Got a few. Um, I. I'm more of a baker, so probably uh, cakes or, or you know slices or scones or um, so I quite I quite like baking, but um, so probably cakes or, or you know chocolate eclairs or something like that. I quite like to cook and eat, and that's the challenge. Wow, that sounds delicious. <laughs> so you decided to go to Ag College. How did you end up at the NFF? What was sort of the journey to here? Yeah, so. Um, I went to Ag College. Uh, I got a job straight out of Ag College with elders. So I worked out in, in, in um, Riverina with elders for a while. Um, and uh, that was a great experience. Um, I was employed as a, as a business analyst. I spent a lot of time driving a forklift. Um, so I uh, got to see and, and chasing sheep at, at sheep yards and stuff, sale yards. So, um, and then uh, I, I was really interested in international trade. So a job um, I saw in the agri department in the international trade area, so I was successful in that and moved back to Canberra. Um, and 
worked in the department in, in various roles and then also worked with the Food and Grocery Council. So, you know, in the food, ag space, sustainability space, which was um, uh, a great experience working with, you know, companies like Unilever and Nestle and Kellogg's and, and Kraft and, you know, um, dealing with sustainability issues. Uh, so that was fantastic. And I actually... Um, saw the, the role at NFF was the trade and economics manager. Um, I knew the CEO at the time and I was coming up to see him about something else and I said, have you filled that role? And he said, no, we're interviewing tomorrow. Are you interested? And I said, yes. Uh, the next day I got interviewed and the following day I got the job. So it was kind of a um, bit of serendipity in there, a bit, uh, bit of luck, but um, that's the process of which I went through it and, um, yeah, I've not looked back. When was that, Tony? That would have been... 2012. So I was working at the Food and Grocery Council and, um, and you know, enjoying the job there. But um, you have conversations and opportunities uh, pass in front of you. And I just happened to, to put my hat in the ring for that. And again, a bit of a fork in the road. So you've now been at NFF for about 10 years. What changes have you seen over that time? Uh, lots of changes, actually. Um, you know, in a physical sense, we've had, uh, I've worked with, I think, four presidents, you know, so four sort of key spokespeople, chair, chairs of the board, and each of those have been quite different. Um, I've been lucky enough in the last few years to work with uh, Fiona Simpson, and um, she's set the bar at a new level um, in terms of, you know, engagement and and the cooperation, uh, I'd like to think her and I have, you know, a great partnership and I think that's, from an organisational point of view, really important where the CEO and the, and the chair, you know, are in sync and Fiona and I definitely are. Um, um, the the organisation has changed significantly from when I started. Uh, so I think when I started we had about 13 staff. We've now got about 30 um, uh, and we've changed. We, we, you know, we've changed. We, we've grown from just an advocacy group into, you know, a policy and programs and events, um, an events organisation. So, and, and we had to um, as part of the process. So it's been quite a significant change, I would say. So, looking at some of the impact of the NFF. So, I think the NFF agreeing on a net zero by twenty fifty target was probably one of the key factors in the last government adopting their net zero policy. I'm just sort of wondering what the process for getting this policy through the NFF was like. How did it happen and, yeah, how did it work? Yeah, um, it was a really interesting process and I look back as um, hopefully one of the um, the achievements that I've contributed to. You know, it wasn't solely me, it was the members, um, but, you know, we, we worked hard to make sure that we were as part of the discussion, that the real driving factor for us as an organisation, me personally as CEO, is that I wanted to be, we wanted to be part of the discussion around climate change and, you know, emissions policy and, and the government's agenda, given they're the key drivers in this space. So, again, I can vividly remember the, the first conversation that we had as a membership. Um, it was in Toowoomba and I'm thinking it was about uh, 2016, I was a newly minted uh, CEO, so um, we had the conversation and the discussion around the table was, do farmers want to be part of the conversation? Do we want to have an influence? Do we want to shape what the future looks like? Um, it, it comes down to a couple of simple questions, that's one of them, and that's what we really pushed. Uh, and we were successful in getting a climate policy and then it progressed into a climate change policy. And then, you know, we adopted the 
um, the net zero by, by 2050. So it's been a progression. And the really interesting, challenging, and I think rewarding uh, position and outcome is that we've had internal robust discussions, um, we've, we've considered views, we've mapped out a bit of a pathway and we've walked there with our members. And I have always thought that the role of industry groups is to help lead, but to not get too in far in front of the members because, you know, the, the NFF is its members. Um, we don't sort of stand on our, on our own. We have to reflect the, the position of our members, but also uh, take them on a journey and lead uh, because I think that's what good industry associations do. So it's been a really interesting, um, rewarding, challenging process and ultimately, I'd like to think that we're in a good position in terms of being part of the conversation, shaping the conversation for the betterment of the agriculture sector. So there was a bit of pushback, I think, when you announced that. Were you concerned that there might be from the government? And how did you prepare for that? Yeah, we're definitely concerned. Oh, well, we're definitely aware that it's a contentious issue. I mean, um, uh, Blind Freddy can see that it's had... Uh, it's been a contentious policy discussion, which, you know, may or may not have contributed to the downfall of two or three prime ministers. I mean, it's it's at that level, right? So we're, we're acutely aware of the contentious nature, acutely aware of the wide range of views within the agriculture sector. Uh, but what we relied on was our internal processes, that we have a committee process that allows us to have robust um uh, frank discussions internally and to use science and evidence as a basis for that discussion and uh, at the end of the day we can come out with a position so that mechanics uh, that machinery of our internal conversations is critically important uh, and we we rely heavily on that and that's what has allowed us to to have that process to have that process but also to have the the outcome the policy decision so when when there was a bit of feedback from um, various parties on on our policy I was fine with that. We were fine because we represent the industry and our members. We don't represent political parties. Uh, we want to be part of the discussion and it's it's farmers' policy that we're, at the end of the day, responsible for. We're not beholden to political parties to, um, to you know, align with particular views. We're for farmers. We're not for political parties. And, Tony, climate change presents many challenges for agriculture, both on and off farm. Is there a single biggest challenge within that that you think we should be aware of? I think the biggest challenge will be making sure that agriculture and farming is recognised in light of, yes, its role in emissions, but more broadly sustainability. And I think that's that's critical and it is starting to materialise now that uh, we should absolutely be uh, concerned about and focusing on, you know, emissions, so whether they're carbon or whether it's methane um, or any other, uh, but that's part of a broader discussion around sustainability and, you know, natural capital. So that's, you know, that's our focus now is how, how do we best get the conversation to be focused around a broader um, perspective on where agriculture sits in the environment. Um, and the other really important factor is how do we balance up the need for, the global need for food and fibre 
that is is not going away and how do we get the right um, equitable recognition and balance between production of food and fibre and the growing need for a sustainable food and fibre supply chain and source. I think they're, the, they're some of the biggest challenges. I don't think insurmountable, but I think the, the outcome of getting the right reference points and balances so we can continue to produce food and fibre, but we can do it in a sustainable way. So in the past few weeks, we launched the report calling for a national plan or a national approach to climate change and agriculture. Why do you think a national approach is important? Well, it's absolutely critical because a couple of things. We've got a federated structure in this country and states and territories and the Commonwealth uh, have got roles and responsibilities in this space. Um, So we need to sort of be aware of that. The other is that agriculture doesn't stop at state borders and we must have a national approach that recognises the importance of of food and fibre production and that needs to be at the Commonwealth level and we need to make sure that farmers and the agriculture supply chain is included in and um and, and referenced and recognised in these discussions that governments are having. And, and that national approach will allow us to do that. So um, in the absence of that, then policy will get discussed and, and debated and agreed on, and it might mean that agriculture isn't part of those conversations, and I think that would be a negative outcome. So as part of the report, we surveyed over 600 farmers about what they'd like to see as part of the plan. And one of the overwhelming things that came back to us is that farmers want to be more engaged in programs that are there right now, but they don't know how to take those next steps. So, you know, most farmers um, don't know how to get involved in the carbon market, for instance, or at least those that were surveyed by us. Are you surprised by that finding? And no, I'm not. I um, I think it aligns with everything that I've heard over the last you know decade or so. Is that there's lots of conversation and lots of expectations around the opportunities and the challenges um, when it comes down to a farm business level. Uh, a couple of things. I mean, people are people are so focused on running their business that they haven't had the time. Um, or it's not clear enough or easy enough for them to start understanding the implications of the carbon market. And it is just the, the second thing is that um, there's not enough information out there in an, in a, a consumable way that allows farmers to easily engage in what is ultimately quite a complex scenario. And, you know, um, we haven't done a good enough job as as industry and government in making sure that people understand what those implications are. So I, that's not surprising to me at all, um, and I think we can we can do better in that space. And what would you say to farmers who are not sure if it's worth being involved in the carbon market, or they're kind of, you know, thinking about is it actually an opportunity for us or not? What kind of things would you say to farmers who are in that situation? I'd say that they're right in in having you know mixed thoughts about it. Uh, the, the the point that I would say is that there there may well be opportunities, uh, and there's there's likely to be some challenges too. So um, to try and get 
as much information as they can on their own situation because we all know that probably every farm across the country is just a little bit different and um, different structures and different enterprises and uh, different geography and, and environmental conditions. So there's not going to be one size that fits all. Uh, and that, again, has been a contributing factor as to why the sector hasn't engaged as much as it possibly um, might have. Um, but there are increasingly more sources of information and tools to help farm businesses embrace and understand what those opportunities and challenges are. Which takes us a bit to the next question, which is, I think the Chubb review on offsets and then the debate around the safeguard mechanism has really put offsets and agriculture under the spotlight. So what do you think we can do to ensure agriculture isn't compromised by selling our offsets? We can help bridge the gap between, you know, industry, uh, sorry, government policies like the safeguard mechanism and uh, industry engagement, so farm businesses uh, engagement in the process, and that is some sort of conduit or or, uh, uh, assistance, support, information, uh, guidance, to help farmers understand what those opportunities are, and and you know it may mean that it's a it's a farm by farm sort of scenario that people can can help understand what their situation looks like, and then have a conversation with support people, guidance people, you know. Um, uh, concierge, if that's what they're called, to actually allow people to um, make that gap smaller and shorter and narrower between those opportunities. Um, and it may mean that they don't uh, engage in the carbon market. It may mean that they, um, you know, inset and, and hold their their um, carbon profile and their, their um, emissions, their, um, their capacity internally, but it may mean that they... They engage in the carbon market, but they'll do so in an informed way. So kind of along those lines, you and I um, stood together to speak about a proposal that Helen Haynes was putting forward, um, MP Helen Haynes, last week around farm extension offices. And this is something that was really highlighted in the report, that farmers are looking for this extension support. What, What do you see as the benefit of farm extension um, it's it's making information available and it's it's helping um, you know people make informed decisions uh, and there's there's a gap there at the moment the, the fact that the agriculture sector hasn't engaged in the carbon market um, there's a few reasons for it but one of them is that there's just the, the gap the understanding is is too big. The, the mis, you know, the miscommunication or the the noise is is too great for farmers to actually um, adequately understand, and if they choose to engage in the process. So, those um, support workers, uh, the you know those, um, the the two hundred people, if that's what they are, the the uh, officers um, will help try and bridge that gap, and you know, be a, a friendly, approachable tool that can help uh, farmers make informed decisions. So ag has sort of historically led the way when it comes to reducing emissions and we can see now other sectors, you know, energy and other sectors are making pretty deep emission cuts. But how can we ensure that ag continues to lead the way in emissions reduction 
And what do you think some of the biggest challenges along the way might be? Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is the, the variation in the production systems across the country uh, and, the, and the different enterprises. So obviously animal agriculture is, you know, has been a focus, but it, it, um, it, it, it's not just uh, animal, animal production. Um, uh, and innovation technology is the other key factor. Um, so yes, you know, methodologies around how we measure and map uh, emissions profiles on, on farms, but what adaption strategies and tools and technologies are available. So again, the, the one that comes to people's minds and in my mind is, you know, the, the, um, the seaweed technology, uh, red asparagopsis for the, for the livestock sector. I mean, there, there's, there's positive signs there, but it looks like there's a fair bit of work to go before that is a commercially widely adoptable technology. So there's, um, we need to continue to research and, and invest in technology that will allow the ag sector to reduce emissions while continuing to reduce. Tony, we've talked a bit about what our farmers have, well, our farmers have told Farmers for Climate Action that they'd like from a national climate change and ag plan. And I know NFF have put a, their own submission in and we're part of NFF. Did you want to talk to some of the key points that that covers off on that we know that the plan needs to include? Yeah, and I think um, one of them is what we've talked about before, the extension officers. That's a, that's a basic uh, tool and you know what we think is an easy entry level decision for government to um, to adopt. Um, other is further research in in you know methodologies and different farming systems and different technologies that will allow um, the the reduction in in emissions um, and. Uh, that's really that's critically important that we get that collaboration coordination across. Um, so yes, our, you know research and development corporations. So because this is a cross-cutting issue for the sector, it, it shouldn't just be the horticulture or the seafood or the forestry sector um, investing in this. This, in my mind at least, is a whole of agriculture industry that everyone needs to collaborate on. So you know government assistance in that space um, and. And support for that, um, I think, would be welcomed. The other is, and it goes to the, the safeguards policy, is to make sure that agriculture isn't um, isn't uh, the expectations around agriculture are real. Let me put it that way: that you know the, um, the agriculture sector isn't going to be traded off as the carbon sink for this country or for any other country around the world, and that people aren't going to see. Uh, offsets and and you know the purchase of what might be productive agricultural land as an easy simple solution that um, in in my mind will and could have a, a detrimental impact on the industry's growth um, and sustainability. So support for those sorts of um, measures from government is what I think we need. Tony, we've talked a lot about agriculture and climate today. That's Farmers for Climate Action's wheelhouse. But looking across ag more generally, what are you most excited about in regards to agriculture right now? Um, I think the the benefits and the the capacity of the sector. I mean, uh, 
seeing the growth in the farm gate value. I mean, this year, only a couple of weeks ago, we saw ABES say that the farm gate value is up to $90 billion. And that is just so significant and so enormous that um, it, you know, the industry has grown $30 billion in probably five years. Now, that is, of course, off the back of a few good seasons and um, bearing in mind that we had, you know, this country's probably the worst drought um, leading up to that period. But what we've demonstrated is we're a sector, an industry that can continue to grow and take up new technology, new innovation. We are you know, again, off the back of COVID, are uh, one of the sectors that was able to continue to produce and continue to, while there was disruptions, no doubt, on supermarket shelves, food and fibre continued to be um, delivered, um, albeit with a, with a few disruptions. So we're we're a critical sector uh, for industry for the for the country, and that's what I'm excited about is that people have recognised the, the the growth that the, the industry has continued to grow, but um, people are starting to re-recognise um, the importance of farming and agriculture to the community and to the economy. Of course, I think it's the most we think it's the most important sector, but we just got to um, sometimes that fluctuates. And what about you, Tony? What's next? Good question. <laughs> Um, look, I, I love this job. It's incredibly challenging, inc- incredibly rewarding. And as I said, um, agriculture is my passion. But um, uh, look, I'd, I'd, I'd love to keep working in the industry, um, whether it's with NFF, you know, that, that time will have to come to an end. I, I'd, uh, I need to give someone else uh, a go at this fascinating job. So when that is, uh, who knows? But um, I'd look forward to staying in the industry and and working with farmers and producers and and the supply chain. We've covered a fair bit of territory today, Tony. Is there anything else you'd like to add or say? Um, Look, I think uh, from just reflecting, and and I've been at the start of the discussions with Farmers for Climate Action um, and the engagement and the partnership that we've got as as Farmers for Climate Action being a member of the NFF, uh, it's it's been a really valuable partnership, and and I think you know from an NFF perspective, um, the more that we can do to represent and reflect uh, what are clearly diverse range of views across the sector, and that is the joy and the challenge of this job is trying to reflect all of the views of all of the farmers um, on really complex and 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 contentious issues. That's 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 the joy and in supreme challenge of. of of this job, um, but it has been really beneficial and, and valuable to have a, a, a wide view on on things like like climate change. And I think Farmers for Climate Action have really made a huge contribution to uh, the NFF and the policy discussion. So um, you know, that, I think that's a, a, a plus for us, and I hope it's a plus for you know, the Farmers for Climate Action membership and organisation. Tony, do you think that the NFF climate policy would have landed where it is today if FCA hadn't been part of NFF? It's a really good question. Um, I don't know. Hindsight's hindsight's easy. Um, I think So, what I will say is that they they had, you know, Farmers for Climate Action and, and you know, a couple of other groups, um, the timing was right to have that conversation and um, FCA 
there's no doubt had an influence in in the direction of the policy, and I think that's that's a good thing. Um, as I said, we've got a machinery process that allows for that and, and, and um, relies on that. So I think that's that's been a really good process. But yeah, there, there's no doubt FCA had um, a good, solid, uh, valuable contribution to that discussion. At the end of the day, it's it's the whole of NFF that that um, endorses the policy. So. Um, it was a good process. Thanks, Tony, and thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. And we look forward to working with NFF and seeing where the direction of climate policy goes next. Thanks, Tony. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed the chat.